This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Best Friends Podcast. Today is August the 11th of 2022. My name is John Dunn. Our most recent National Adoption Weekend event was back in July, and it was a smashing success. Through the participating Best Friends Network partners, nearly 10,000 animals found new homes, all just over the course of three days. How amazing is that? And I'm telling you this because I want you to check out the show notes area on your podcast player. There you'll find a link to a story on our website. It is jam-packed with heartwarming, uplifting, positive adoption stories from the event. And I can tell you, I surely needed to read that this week, and I think you'll also like it. There are also some great tips in there about how the different organizations increase the number of adoptions they had during the event. For example, Helping Hands Humane Society in Topeka, Kansas, they learned a trick at the Best Friends National Conference of renaming animals who have been in care for a while. So Nearer the dog became Penny. Just like that, she found a home. A picture of Penny with her new dad on our website, link to that in the show notes. And I don't know if I'm even allowed to be saying this yet or not, but the success of that event, we're already planning the next, and it's gonna be coming soon. Not quite ready to announce dates yet and all that kind of stuff, but we know that you need as much help as you can get to help get animals out of your facilities and into homes. So again, we're gonna do another one of these National Adoption Weekends very soon. I'll let you know the dates and timeline as soon as I know it. And we want as many Best Friends Network partners benefiting from these events as possible, right? So I wanna make sure your organization is a partner. It's free, easy to sign up. Again, in the show notes, you'll find a link with information on the program, how to sign up, the benefits, all that kind of stuff. And the link for the program spotlight I just mentioned will also be there where you can read those adoption stories. So on to today's episode. You might know the old saying, laws are like sausages. You don't want to see either being made. There's no question that the political process can be ugly and difficult, frustrating, whether that's at the federal, state, or local level. But laws, ordinances, regulations, or in some cases the lack of them, can make our work easier or more difficult. For example, you may be someone who lives in a community that has an ordinance that considers feral cats to be abandoned. So if you want to do a TNVR program, trap, neuter, vaccinate, and return, by fixing them and putting them back, doing the R part, you may be running afoul of the law. Or it could be that your community has the same animal care and control regulations they've had on the books since the 70s or 80s. Think about how much more we know today about animals and pet ownership than we did decades ago. Chances are your local animal care and control regulations are due a refresher. Also in the show notes, links to this episode on our website, tons of resources related to legislative advocacy work, how-to guides, model ordinance language, and contact info for our legislative team who are more than happy to be a resource for you. Now, we know that working with elected officials is something that many of you have to do or want to do, but if politics were easy, everyone would do it. So it's definitely one of those topics where we need to lean on the experts. So if the topic is working with elected officials, who better to ask than elected officials? So we recently added a new member to our legislative and advocacy team here at Best Friends. Her name is Kathleen Murphy, and she is a current member of the Nashville, Tennessee Metropolitan Council. Another one of my colleagues here, also in that department, is Eric Swafford, and he's a former state lawmaker, also from Tennessee. 
Uh, Eric, Kathleen, I know how busy you are, so I just want to say how much I appreciate your time. Uh, and, you know, you're both my coworkers here at Best Friends, but you're also elected officials. Uh, Eric, you're a former state rep from Tennessee. Kathleen, you are a current Metro Council person in Nashville, but you have term limits there and your time in office is coming to a close. But yeah, we're talking, hey, let's do an episode on elected officials, working with elected officials. So who better to talk to than two elected officials who are also my uh, colleagues here at Best Friends? Um, but yeah, I mean, animal welfare laws, ordinances, I think it's always a relevant topic for us. You know, sometimes we need something on the books that doesn't exist, or maybe we need to remove or change something that is on the books that maybe is preventing our uh, ability to save lives in the best way. So it's a, an area that, you know, those of us in animal welfare and even those that aren't in paid gigs, but are passionate advocates, people want to engage in this way because it is a great way to affect change in your community when it's done the right way. So here we are chatting with two lawmakers who can help us be more effective. You hit the nail on the head with you know, the best way to affect change is ordinances. And, you know, the most effective, most impactful and the best government is the one that's closest to the people. We think about things completely backwards, unfortunately. You know, we see record turnouts when people are voting for the president. But, you know, the person that impacts our daily life more than anybody else is our city council member or our county commissioner if we're living uh, in a rural part of, of a county and not in a city, or, uh, or in my case, both. They're the ones that set your local ordinances. They're the ones that impact the things you do every single day. They're the ones that set the set your property taxes. You know, set your your the local tax base or trash pickup, Eric. I was going to say they're the ones that make sure on Thursday morning somebody <laughs> shows up and and gets my trash so that I don't I don't have to go to a landfill. You know, it's those people that really have an impact on us every single day of, of the year. And I'm not saying that it's not important to go vote for the president. It is. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get involved and make sure you're voting for your state representative or state senator. You should, and your your U.S. congressman, and you're not your United States senator. But don't ever underestimate the importance of your county commissioner, your city council member, your mayor, if you have an elected mayor, your county supervisor, or county executive, there's different terms for different, different places, but those folks are crucial to the work that, that we do here at Best Friends, and, and they're crucial to the way we live our, our daily lives. And just full disclosure, although both of us work at Best Friends, both of us have been elected, Kathleen currently, me, me formerly, both lobbied the same legislature at the same time. We may or may not come at things from a slightly different vantage point, from slightly different political views. <laughs> and uh, and that's one of the things I, I can't miss an opportunity to say. That's one of the incredible things about the issues that we work on here at Best Friends. If there's one thing that everybody from any political persuasion can agree on, it's that healthy and treatable dogs and cats in America's shelter shouldn't be killed for no reason. We can all agree that we should work to do whatever we can to save those animals in America's shelters. Oh, that's exactly. I mean, Eric, I don't think we could have scripted that segue over to what I was going to add any better. Um, just like your trash pickup is not partisan or political, uh, saving lives, saving shelter animal lives 
it's not a partisan issue. And so really it is your local electeds, those closer to home that are going to be impacting that situation in your local community. Yes, state level laws, federal level laws impact that as well. But really your your day in, day out is going to be those local elected officials. So I was just thinking that I would run through a couple of tips to kind of how to how to increase those relationships because as we mentioned, yes, ordinances are great. Changing laws are great. Changing policy. I mean, that's what we do here at Best Friends in our roles. But it is our partners and our volunteers back home in these districts and localities that they've got to have that relationship with their elected official. How is Best Friends successful? It's those relationships back home. And so reaching out to your elected officials, letting them know who you are, getting to know them better is probably the number one thing you can do to help move this mission forward. Because once you have that relationship and you kind of build that social capital or political capital, depending on how you want to look at it, that's when you can really impart on that local elected official your wisdom, your experience, and move the needle when a policy decision comes up or a law needs to be changed. Without that relationship, you know, you don't have a foot in the door as as easily. So that can be literally just getting to know them, saying hello at the grocery store. Maybe your kids are on the same soccer team or go to the same school. Um, you meet them at a PTO event community meetings, going to their events, and introducing yourself. It doesn't always have to be talking about policy. It can just be getting to know somebody on a human level. And I think that's just really kind of your first step and key to making any sort of change, is making sure that your local electeds know who you are and you know who they are. So for people who are not involved in politics on the level that both of you are, uh, you know, a primer might make a little sense. And it may feel a little rudimentary, but I think if we are honest about it, you know, we're not a very politically engaged country. I think we'll fight about politics, but voter turnout is incredibly low. Engagement in the process is low. Uh, Eric, you mentioned a presidential general election. I think 50, 60% turnout generally for those. Local primary elections, a lot lower, 20, 30%, I think around here most often. So we're a pretty civically disengaged lot. So uh, just so we're all clear, you know, if I want to see something different where I live, you know, how am I figuring out who whose door I even should be knocking on to, to, to have this thing be changed. Sure. I'll take that. Uh, I'll take that first. And that's, that's a, an excellent question. And what I would say is when in doubt, if you're in a city, contact your city council member. If you're in the, if you're out in the County, contact your County commissioner. Again, the best government, the most impactful is the one closest to the people. So if you don't know, is this a city thing? Is it a county thing? Is it a state thing? Go to your local official, because oftentimes someone that served in the the state legislature, oftentimes we would get constituent calls and, hey, I would like to see this done. Could it be done at the state level? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes it had to be. More often than not, it was you know, we could do that at the state level, but you can also do this at the local level, particularly if you're in a city. Cities have much more leeway, uh, much more liberties, much more ability to impact things than counties do. But always start with, with the local. If you don't know, start with the local, especially if there's a, a situation that you want to see changed, an issue that you want to see stopped or started. Start at the locals. And if I may, I'm a couple of things to remember uh, 
in real quick, John, before you you get to your your next question. Elected officials, they want a couple of things, and they really only want a couple of things. One, they want to be reelected more times than not. And uh, and two, they just want their constituents to be happy and be nice when they see them. Generally, it's easier to be nice if you are happy. So they actually want their constituents to be happy. They want to please them. No one serves in office and thinks, you know, what I really want to do is make everybody angry at me so that if I go to a ball game, somebody's yelling at me. So if I go to the grocery store, somebody is fussing about this, that or the other. Or if I stop to get a bite to eat, I've got a line of people saying, what on earth were you thinking? So that's what they want. But in order to make sure that they keep their constituents happy, constituents have to be willing to talk to them to let them know what they're thinking, to let them know issues that are important to them. They actually want to hear from people in their community. That's how the process works and how they represent you uh, effectively and the, the way you want them to is when you just tell them. Elected officials, they're just like everybody else. My first term as a state representative from a, a very rural area, part of the people thought I was in Washington didn't know I was in, in Nashville. And that that's always okay. Others could not believe that they would see me every weekend at home, you know, mowing the yard or at, at the farm, working, building fence or whatever. It's like, well, you know, I still work. It's, you know, but it was like people were, were almost hesitant to just flag me down if they saw me in town and say, hey, would you do this? People didn't know me my whole life. But elected officials want to hear from you. So get to know them. If you see them out, if it's somebody you don't know, introduce yourself. One of our, our colleagues, Peter Wolf, I know, John, you, you know Peter, of course, says that I remind him of Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse, not because I look like Patrick Swayze or anything like that. Uh, I mean, the hair may be a little bit, hey, <laughs> because I say this all the time when reaching out to electeds, be nice, no matter what, just be nice until you absolutely have no choice but to not be nice. Be nice. Tell them what you need, but be nice. Thank them for their time and be nice. That will go further than you can possibly imagine. And especially reach out to them when you don't have an ask. Reach out to them just to say, hey, I saw you did this. Thank you. Hey, I, I know you're working on that. We appreciate it. Things like that go further than we can possibly imagine. It's the same as we, we do with our neighbors. You know, think of every elected official as your new next door neighbor. Get to know them, get to know something about them, take an interest in them. Then it's easy when you have an ask to contact them and make the ask. And the other thing is, it's very hard for them to say no. Well, since we're talking about interfacing with elected officials like this, I want to tell you this story. So very early in my career, I attended an event uh, that there was a prominent leader from an animal welfare, national animal welfare organization speaking. And this guy gets up. Uh, he was about my age. I think he is about my age. And... He's like, man, this guy's bulletproof, perfect hair, you know, slicked back, got a button down shirt, sleeves rolled up like a senator on the campaign trail. His presentation was like flawless, incredibly engaging, these like incredible timing moments. And I, and my first reaction was like, man, look at this slick character. You know, what did he know about that? Like, like just as if he wasn't sort of one of us. And as he's going through this incredible presentation, I started to kind of take stock of myself a little bit. And I realized like, you know, I, 
why am I the one dressed like this, right? Like, uh, you know, being slick, being well, you know, presenting ourselves well, it's not a negative thing, right? Looking very professional in animal welfare isn't a negative thing, especially if your goal is to work with folks outside of animal welfare, like elected officials, you know, being authentic is okay, but you really can't afford to not try to be more polished if you want to be taken seriously. As sad as it is to say, it's just the truth, isn't it? Presentation is key. We establish our initial thought of somebody truthfully in about 30 seconds. When someone is going to talk to us about public policy, about making a change, we're going to analyze them with our eyes first and our ears second. It's just the facts. It's, it's the way we're made. And there's a little bit of a, uh, I think, a, a respect issue. We expect our, our city council members to show up for a city council meeting dressed professionally. We expect our state legislators to show up uh, on the House floor dressed professionally. So when we're going to go talk to them, we need to extend that same courtesy that same respect and show up dressed professionally and let them know, hey, we take what you do serious. We want you to take what we do serious. That's true. Now, I don't want to lead anybody astray that you've got to be, you know, in a custom fit suit and perfectly tailored, but perception is reality in politics. Um, And if you want to be seen as an expert, you want to be respected for the knowledge and experience you have, Yes, you need to be your authentic self, but be your best presenting self as well. Whether that means making sure that if you're coming from the shelter, for example, you, you explain, I just came from the shelter. That's understandable. Same as if you work in an industry that has a uniform, that's okay to wear that uniform, but make sure that you are still holding yourself in a manner that is to be respected. Because to ask for that respect and give that respect is kind of the mutual ground we meet on. So, you know, you're not playing a part, but make sure that you are are dressed appropriately for the setting. Eric, you mentioned animal issues being something we can all agree on politically, right? These are very tumultuous times. I'm sure pretty much every community is struggling one way or another with the things that are happening in our country today. Of course, policing is a huge topic on the local level. The economy, just this post-COVID world, a lot of issues that I think for most people would take precedence over animal issues, whether we like that or not. And that actually is also can be a struggle when we're in like much calmer times. So while we all might agree on how awesome animals are, it's not necessarily easy to get these issues seen as a priority when it comes to, you know, passing ordinances or whatever. So how do you think someone can elevate these topics successfully at a time like this? It is. It is difficult because a lot of cities are struggling with their budgets. A lot of infrastructure projects have been put off. And when they are put off, then you have bigger problems later on. We're struggling, like you said, police issues, public safety issues, um, everything down to prioritizing parks, um, which we all, I think, took advantage of during COVID so much. It was just getting outside and having that open space. So where do animals fit in? That is where, as we mentioned before, doing a little research and doing your homework on your elected officials 
you should always know who your elected official is and, and build that relationship. Now, if you have at-large members, get to know them as well. But on your city council board or board of aldermen, do that research on their websites, on their social media pages, and see who's an animal lover. See who has a pet at home. Use that as a way to connect personally. Finding that connection um, kind of transcends some of these other issues. And, and you can kind of build the relationship from there and kind of pull up their heartstrings and say, I know that you're an animal lover. And here's what I'm seeing happening in our community about our shelter or our dog parks or or what have you. And and really kind of starting at at that relationship connection is how you can then take it to a policy connection. And so that is doing your homework, but also remembering that just because you don't agree with someone on one issue does not mean that you're going to disagree with them on all issues. So one of the sayings that you always hear in politics is there's no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. And that's, that plays a role here. You may not agree with your elected representative on the way they voted on your taxes, the way they handle different, more partisan issues per se, or whether there was a new soccer stadium, but you can connect with them on something else. And, and, and if you can find that connection through their animal, all the better. If not, find some other way to connect with them and then transition that into your passion for saving animals in your community. So it really kind of starts with the the understanding that they are human. And if you don't agree on one issue, stay away from that one and move on to the next. And there's a another kind of piece to that or, or approach maybe that I take. We were at a, a legislative conference just a, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that I said is, look, there are so many issues right now that are incredibly divisive, that are incredibly weighty, that are emotional. We've got an issue that everybody can agree on, that everybody can feel good about, that's a little lighter lift and something that just makes good sense in today's climate when everybody's fighting. Why not take up an issue that everybody can agree on and move forward and go back home and say, you know, yes, we're we disagree on this. Yes, we're fighting about that. But look where we came together. The process still works. And it was amazing the response that legislators had to that kind of thinking. And we immediately pointed to a, a bill dealing with uh, breed-specific restrictions that was in Texas a couple of years ago. And one of the most liberal representatives and one of the most conservative representatives we're the first two sponsors, you know, because, yeah, they disagree on some issues, but this is one that that impacts everybody that everybody can agree on. So one of the approaches that I take is, hey, now there's lots of weighty issues, lots of divisive issues. Here's one that's not. Here's one that everybody can agree on. You know, some of the uh, uh, communication we've had with local leaders is, hey, we know your plate's full. Let me let let me take something off of that plate. You do this. Look at all the time and resources you're going to free up to work on all these other things. So there there are ways to elevate the importance, even in these tumultuous times. Um, let me just add to that real quick. Maybe you don't go after the big ask at first. You know, maybe maybe it is not your your shelter 
needs a total overhaul, right? Or you your shelter, you need a whole new building built. That's a big project. And that takes some time to build up the resources for a large capital project like that. So maybe there's some low hanging fruit, some smaller asks that you can ask of your elected officials to help you out with. Maybe it's as simple as, you know, get reserving your local park shelter for a, a yappy hour or, or something to help the local shelter with a, a fundraiser at the farmer's market. So those smaller asks can also build the confidence in the relationship so you can ask for something bigger later. So, you know, something a little less divisive because something b- bigger may come along. But but again, it's, you know, finding those smaller wins can add up as well. Kathleen, you're a Nashville Metro Council person, and I think you told me you're one of 40? Yes, yes. And Eric, how many other state reps were there when you were uh, elected in Tennessee? No, I was one of 99. So that's a lot of people. And that means a lot of people that you're gonna have to deal with when it comes to, you know, garnering support for your issue, whipping those votes. You know, I mean, Kathleen, if I were one of your constituents in Nashville and I walked into your office tomorrow and I said, hey, here's this idea. I I think we should change this ordinance. It's going to save a lot of lives. You might agree 100 percent, but you can't just go into the next council meeting and click your fingers and make it happen. So much work has to do to not even just get people on board, but to, like, develop the language. And there's going to be public here. I mean, there's so much work to do. And these things really do take time. But that also is part of doing your homework. So not just doing your homework about the elected officials and and kind of figuring out which one's going to be the one to make your friend and and is going to carry the message. But you need to be aware of how does your city or local government pass legislation, pass ordinances, just like Schoolhouse Rock, how a bill becomes a law. That's different in every community. The overall principles are the same, but the process is different. And so sometimes a local ordinance could take three readings, like here in Nashville, it takes three readings. So that's three separate meetings. That's at least a six-week process there. But even before that, there are filing deadlines. There's research that has to be done. There's departments that you need to reach out to. And so understanding that process kind of, I think, helps ground you in what is a realistic ask and timeline and time frame. You definitely cannot go to an elected official and ask for a law to be changed overnight because it does take time to go through the process. And that is part of the American process is that we, you know, make sure that things are are fleshed out. So knowing that going into any ask is really important too. You've got to set your expectations realistically time-wise. And that's also giving you time to to do some other homework and due diligence of who who may be on the opposite side. Um, your elected official will probably be able to help you figure that out and adjust your kind of talking points and reasonings um, around that. Be prepared for, for the bumps that come along with it. And if you have a good relationship with your elected official, y'all can work through that hand in hand. I might have said this story on the podcast before. Uh, If I did, I'm sorry, but I think it's worth repeating and I'll I'll try to tell it quickly. It's a story of failure. So I I tried to get a local ordinance passed here where I live to ban performing wild animals. I think at that time there were already over a hundred communities maybe that had already passed something similar to that. And these types of ordinances, I think they were a huge part of what has brought us to where we are today with this issue. So we thought it was something that would be very positive. You know, the circuses were bringing elephants here and we just 
didn't think it was something that should happen in our community. So uh, my wife and I decided, hey, this is what we want to do. We're going to try to get this ordinance passed. We created a campaign we call it End Circus Cruelty. We connected with folks in the community who were doing the protests when the circus came to town. We made a website. We created campaign literature, created informational packets for the commissioners. We emailed them. We uh, asked to meet all of them for coffee. Um, you know, on two separate occasions, we packed the commission chamber with more than a hundred people. We had local influential folks, business owners. They were on board. They came to speak. At all of that. I mean, like the amount of work and organization, and we weren't successful. It just never took shape, despite all of that work and and all the positive feedback we got from even the elected officials. And obviously now in retrospect, you know, you can go back hindsight being 2020, and I can understand maybe some of the areas where we missed the mark, underestimating the importance of the city manager in the process, for example. I don't think we included him enough. Uh, I just don't think we realized the dynamic of that time. But all of that is to say that this type of work, we most often hear about, you know, what we accomplished. Hey, with these wins. And it sounds like we win a lot. Uh, but I would guess the wins would pale in comparison to the losses. And it's like that in every city. I mean, I, I mean, I hate to kind of throw that out there of, oh, it's a roll of the dice, but that's part of doing your homework. You know, yes, you want to pass a, an animal welfare piece of legislation. Well, watch a couple city council meetings and see what other organizations are are successful in, in passing what what they care about or something that you may care about too, go to them and ask for advice. Um, you know, don't be afraid to ask for that help from other community members that you know that have been successful or nice little plug for, for what Eric and I do with best friends is ask best friends. We may have been on the ground in that area or have a, a connection to your local community that we can assist you in in the best approach because it is different in, in every community. Like you said, like your city manager was the guy who kind of needed to be the first touch where um, in a in a body of 40 members, you, you can kind of throw a dart at the map and, and pick one of us at different times. But that's, that's all part of doing your homework. Um, you know, a, a, a quote from um, from a, another Tennessee legislator uh, that I love is you read the rules of Monopoly before you play the game, right? Same with shoots and ladders, playing, same with, you know, checkers and things like that. It's getting to know those kind of unspoken rules and politics that will help you become more successful. And that does take, you've got to play kind of the long game there, but but it is well worth it. Because again, once you get your foot in the door and get that ball rolling, the dominoes will fall and you'll become much more successful if you've done that work up front. And another thing that I don't want people to ever get discouraged, it oftentimes takes more than one try to get a bill across, whether it's at the federal level, the state level, or the local level with a, an ordinance or resolution. One of the big things that, that I think about during my time in the legislature was when we were talking about ending smoking in restaurants, that bill in Tennessee had been filed for probably 10 years and every year it got sent to the agriculture committee and never even got a motion to get heard, much less a vote. Uh, I was the first member to ever make a motion to, to actually hear that legislation and afterwards was literally screamed at in the hallway by another member as a grandstander and a showboat and a media not nice word that we'll, we won't use here. And in 2009, 
I sponsored that bill in the House and we passed it with a super majority of votes in both chambers. I mean, it, it took a little while. It took people warming up to the idea that, you know, yeah, the, the people actually want this. This is good. This is good for businesses. It's good for workers. It's good for people. This is a good day. I remember standing on the steps of the Capitol having a press conference the day that the bill, we had it scheduled to be voted on the House floor and the Senate floor the same day. And we had a press conference with me on on the House side and a gentleman that was one of the two most liberal senators in the in the Tennessee Senate at the time. But, you know, we, we looked at some issues differently. We agreed where we agreed. We're great friends to this day. And we agreed to work on issues together that we could both agree on were good for our constituents and good for Tennessee. And that was probably one of my most proud moments, not getting the bill passed, but standing there with somebody that philosophically we just view government differently. Won't say we even disagree, but we view government's role differently. But standing there and agreeing where we could and working together on something that was so crucially important to both of us and to so many people, probably my most proud moment as a legislator. What Eric kind of left out is a little bit of that context of why was it so difficult to pass a a smoking, a non-smoking bill in Tennessee? We're an agriculture state. Tobacco is a huge, was a huge agriculture product in Tennessee. Knowing that local context of the local economy, the socioeconomic kind of background and, and situation is also key to understanding why someone may or may not support your position or, or what you're asking from them. But again, once you find an ally that you can connect with on that issue, on the issue that is important that you're pushing, all the other stuff you disagree on, leave it at the door. Leave it at the door. If, you, if you're successful or fail, pass or fail, you still leave it at the door, right? Because you've built that relationship. It is like any other relationship. It takes work and maintenance. And and like Eric said before, thank them before, thank them after, thank them later on, um, thank them during election season. Politicians like to be thanked. And, and so find something you can thank them for. Whether it be that vote, maybe it's maybe it wasn't even sponsoring or passing the bill, but simply supporting or working with others. Thank them and, and notice it because they'll appreciate that as well. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that, Bill, Eric. Given the opposition, I'm guessing there were compromises to the final language. It's been a few years now. I think around early 2015, my wife and I, we went to Nashville just to see the sights. Fun weekend to hang out in town we hadn't really spent any time in. And I remember our shock. We walked into a bar and people were smoking in there. 2015. And we were like, where is this? Like, what is going on? So you just mentioned that. And at that time, I remember just assuming like, oh, I bet their law had, you know, had some kind of grandfathered in clause or phase out, something like that. And it sounds like my suspicions might have been true, which actually ends up being a good point about things rarely in this process are going to turn out how you want them to, you know, that art of the compromise, right? After it's gone through the stakeholders and the attorneys and the public and everything, you know, the language might not look exactly how you wish it did, but that's politics. You know, maybe we can't fully outlaw smoking in bars today because we're up against huge, very well-funded interests like the tobacco lobby or like, you know, the dog breeding industry, but some bars having smoking right now is better than all of them having smoking. Yeah, absolutely. And the compromise, we did what we had to do to get it passed. The compromise was 
establishments that are 21 and older all the time, they could allow smoking if they chose to do so. If their their patrons were, were 21 and over all the time. Was that ideal or what I actually wanted? No, but that was what we could get through. You know, that's what was was passable and never let perfection be the enemy of good. You know, we could have said, nope, it, it's this or nothing. And who knows how long it would have taken. M- maybe still would have, you know, smoking at Cracker Barrel. So Eric, you said that was 09 that y'all passed that. Is that right? 09. Yeah. So literally it is 2022. So we are talking about 13 years later, the state legislature this past year passed a kind of a furtherance of that, that local governments can now ban smoking and 21 and up. So it took 12 years to address that compromise. And it wasn't even statewide. Like Eric said, it's the power to the locals. So so basically the legislature said, oh, okay, we, we, you may be right there, but we're still not going to take this action. We're going to give that to the local government to, to sort out and take the reward and the risk on, right? Because it's it's a political hot topic in Tennessee. Um, and, and that's what you'll see a lot of times is the hot potato between the state and the local governments. And that can be frustrating for advocates. Um, but that is part of, of the beauty of the American process, right? That if you fail at the local level, you can try it at the state level and vice versa. You have other options to get get goals accomplished sometimes. You know, the, your, it might not be your only revenue. And that sort of stuff, I think, can be confusing as all get out. We're a home rule state in Michigan. That's you know, very prescriptive about the types of laws the state can or cannot pass that impact lower levels of government. Some states are like that. Others are not. It can be very confusing. And one thing that I know people will be wondering is, like, how do I know what needs to be changed and what should it be changed to? So I can go look at my county's animal care and control regulations right now. And I'm sure as a, I mean, I'm not an expert in these things, but I'm sure I could spot some stuff that, you know, that looks pretty outdated or maybe that could be changed that could serve us better. But, you know, are they blocking our ability to save lives at the shelter? Probably not. Most of them, right? So should we focus on that now? You know, Eric, how does someone figure that part out? Email us. Email the legislation and and advocacy team right here at Best Friends. I will compliment him. If anybody tells him I gave a compliment, I'll deny it. But we've got probably the best attorney in the nation look at, looking at, at local ordinances and how they impact animals and the fastest way to impact life-saving in Richard Angelo. He is second to none. One end of the country to the other, I'll take him seven days a week and twice on Sunday. He's great at what he does at, at looking at the local ordinances. As far as laying out... um laying out the plans. If it's dealing with puppy meals, Elizabeth Oreck has forgot more about puppy meals than anybody else will ever know. When it comes to BSL and language that's needed and that sort of thing, we've got Lady Van Cabbage, who's been uh, working on this for many, many years. Kelsey Gilmore Futerall is one of the brightest legal minds that there is. I mean, I've worked with with attorneys and legislators from one end of the country to the other and with every animal welfare organization there is. And when it comes to, to getting language right and making sure that, that the ask is on point, Kelsey's as, as good as anybody in the country. And now we have a policy analyst in Kathleen that is phenomenal. I mean, she's an elected official, has 15 years of lobbying experience. This team knows how to do what we do. If somebody needs, so if they need to know how they can impact, 
send an email to our legislation and advocacy team. We can get them the information they need. We can get them the tools they need. We can tell them how to work through the process. We can make it easy for them. That's what I was going to say is, is reach out to us. I mean, we may have, like I said, we may have something already in the works there. Um, we may have tried something before and you might have a new idea um, and we're happy to look at it. But work smarter, not harder. Partner up with us, reach out, and we'll make a plan to find a win somehow um, or get you on the path to, to winning. I think it's been mentioned here, but I want to reiterate the importance of connecting with other folks in the community that are stakeholders in the work that you want to do those who are involved in saving lives, whether that be the shelter or rescue organizations. You know, oftentimes I find with politics like this, there are lone advocates in the community. They're not really affiliated with any one organization, but they're just really into this and they're doing this work already. So if you're wanting to do it and you don't have a coalition, start there, start figuring out who is around you, who can be uh, in the trenches with you, rally those troops. But there's also a kind of left-hand, right-hand thing. And you don't want elected officials getting different versions of the same issue. You know, I'm not saying that, again, one highly motivated, independent person can't change things. That absolutely does happen. But in most communities that are of any sort of size, there are probably going to be people working in silos unknowingly. And if people aren't talking to each other, it just makes everything so much harder. And you really do need to be united when it's time to get into the council chambers to show that support for whatever it is that you're hoping to change. And part of that coalition too is like every elected official, the message that compels them to do what you want is a little different. What is important to my constituency, I'm in the west part of, of Nashville, is different than my colleagues who represent the east part of Nashville or north Nashville, south Nashville. And so having that coalition, finding other partners, having different voices, but saying the same message, singing off the same sheet of paper, that makes your that makes your movement or your your initiative so much stronger. And that's that's what you want, because that's going to help you in, in the long run as well. Such a good point about the motivations of each elected official and who they represent. You know, I'll use my community again, Grand Rapids, Michigan. We've got three wards, two commissioners per ward. So only six people, much easier here than Nashville, I will say. Um, the ward I live in, we have the highest percentage of African-American residents in the city. And the unemployment rate in this city for African-Americans is something like 18% versus 4% for the rest of the city. So we've got huge disparity issues. So it makes total sense that the two elected officials from my ward are very focused on those issues. You know, the wild animals and entertainment campaign I mentioned earlier, the two commissioners for, for my ward, they I, I won't say they were the least interested, but they were very clear that they just didn't really see how this would impact their constituents. You know, their mandate, they felt, was to try to impact things for the people that got them elected and to turn things around, develop new opportunities for jobs and housing. And of course, I went into this thing thinking anyone who sees what we've got, here's what we've got to say. They're just going to be on board 100 percent. Right. We've done so much work. It's so obvious. It makes so much sense. They'll be behind it. And they just didn't connect to it. I mean, they voiced support. They said, listen, if it comes up for a vote, I think this is something I could support. But they weren't going to champion it. They weren't really going to lead the way on it because they just didn't see it as relevant to the city and, and to their constituents uh, in the same way that we did. And that's okay. It was just a great reminder, I think, to for me to really try to understand the motivations of others, not 
you know, not just to expect everyone is going to see it my way. Right, right. And you and what you we've kind of touched on before is is election seasons. There are certain topics that are going to be more compelling to elected officials when elections are coming up. And so what we haven't touched on as much as we probably should have is voter registration. It is vitally important. I know so many colleagues who not only first they want your address, always include your address when you're talking to an elected official. So that elected official knows whether they are your constituent or not. Don't don't play a game of I'm not sharing my address kind of thing. Um, but then secondly, I know a lot of a lot of elected officials who will check that voter registration before returning a phone call or before going an extra mile to get something done. Because we know that if you're a registered voter and if you're voting on a regular basis, then you also have skin in the game in the community as much as we do as elected officials. Now, is that right? Is that fair? That Sometimes I hate to keep saying it, it's politics. But so make sure that you are a, a registered voter and that you're turning out. You don't have to tell people who you vote for or, or what your party or partisan leanings or whether you're not in anything, but vote. That is paramount next to um, any of these actions. At least years ago in the uh, in the state house, most of the legislative assistance, when emails came in, you got a note if the person was a registered voter or if they weren't. And most legislators, because they got so many emails and so much contact, just to be fair with their own time and just to be efficient. I don't have time to talk to everybody. I don't have time to return every message. If they're not registered to vote, send it to the junk mail file. I mean, right, wrong, good, bad, indifferent, you know, that's just the way it is. I represent around 22,000 Nashvilleans in my district that's our rough number for all the for the, all the council districts my district votes around 5 to 6000 voters uh my election it was like about 5 to 6000 people there are other districts in Nashville where they have they are it is a big turnout if they have 2000 people voting so it really does your voice can be amplified if you have that, you know, that kind of, it's like on Facebook the, the or Twitter, the kind of verification check mark, being that voter, being a registered voter says that you are more committed to your community. Whether, whether that's true or not, actually do, taking on that civic responsibility and duty, it, it, it just gives you more credibility. It's just like, you know, dressing, dressing the part, you know, and, and making sure you're using the right language and things like that. Voter registration just gives you more credibility. Well, that's about our time. Uh, I just want to thank both of you for coming on the podcast and uh, for taking on what I think is largely probably, you know, a thankless job, being an elected official. And of course, thank you for your work uh, for the animals at Best Friends. And I know you're willing to help any listener that uh, is looking for help around these types of issues. Who'll have, have questions, email, email uh, legislative at bestfriends.org. We'll get you there. Thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, Kim Clonch, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.